So I feel old. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know how you get to that point where you you think you've missed something culturally and all of a sudden you look around and everyone's kind of doing something that you're not doing and you're like, is that part of the culture now? Or is that, you know, is that like mainstream and I, I missed out on some meme or, or video or something. Um, is this why you decided to try a perm again? <laughs> you know, the great perm is in. Yeah. Milo, uh, he, he's, you know, all the millennials are doing the great perm. Yeah. Um, I saw him with the gray hair and I was like, yeah, you're, you're trying to do me. Uh, so anyway, I was driving home today and I've noticed this more and more since, I don't know, eight, 10 months, almost every day. But when I, when I drive home, I, I work on main street, downtown Columbia and we live in town, but there's a way to get home that kind of bypasses all the downtown traffic. Cause you know, five o'clock in Columbia, South Carolina, I know it's not New York, but it's, you know, it gets a little crazy. So I take these kind of quote back roads. It's kind of like the industrial part of town. Yeah, and you know most most of the speed limits are thirty five, and then you get to like a forty five mile an hour zone. So I'm I'm doing that today, and then I was like, oh, I gotta go, I gotta go to Walgreens and pick this stuff up before I go home. So I'm going by Walgreens, and on the way there, there's like this one road that has two train tracks, and, and no lie, like five cars, like all in a line, kind of slow down from going fifty down to you know like five miles an hour to go over these train tracks, which if if you were to take them at full speed. I mean, if you're going 45 over them, you wouldn't know it. It's, it's not like, you know, they're, they're pothole ridden. Right. You can see they're smooth. You know, it's, it's like a boom, boom. Yeah. They're not raised. You know, you're not going to Dukes a hazard it or anything. Um, and all five cars in front of me, like, slow down to astonishingly slow speeds. And then there's this huge accordion behind us because it's 5 o'clock in Columbia. And I, I've noticed this more and more and more, like, especially in the mornings when I'm going to work and at night. And I... I, I'm trying to think back and I, I know it's, you know, the Mandela effect or whatever, but like, I don't remember this as a young person, like people intentionally slowing down that slow to go over train tracks. And like, is, was there a TV report about the, the dangers of driving your car fast over train tracks that are smooth and ground level or I don't know. Cause, cause uh, if you go like 45 over them, it's completely fine. And, and right, I, yeah, I, I think it's better for your car. Right, right. That's that's why shocks and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if this is a thing you missed, it's a thing that I missed as well. Um, because I definitely don't do that. But maybe it's a Columbia thing. Like maybe it was on the local news there in Columbia. Hey, you're you're kind of siloning here. Really? Yeah. You're you're like I can hear double of you. Well, that's not good. Well, let's do the uh, plug it and plug it back in thing and see what happens. Okay. I'll entertain people. In the <laughs> All right, so Thomas is gone, so we can finally talk about him. Um, remember in episode 64 when he said that he was a Republican and he was looking forward to the election of Ted Cruz? Well, I know he's been really hurt these last couple of months, and I, I do appreciate you sticking with us over that time because... It's it's been hard as his friend to uh, to deal with that off off the show, um, so you know God knows what what you all are going through here on the show, having to deal with um, you know Thomas's loss and and you know all of our loss because Ted Cruz was not the Republican nominee, but I can only say that I, I hope um, you know in the coming months that that Thomas is able to reconcile himself and, and dig out of that hole, um, you know because. You have to realize that that you know you don't always get your way in politics, and that's just how things go. Um, I'm gonna actually, you know, do something I've never done before if Thomas doesn't come back soon, and pull a pull a uh, Strom Thurmond, and uh, well, not pull it because he's dead, but I'm going to um, I'm gonna start reading the the uh, the dictionary or something. Let me find a book. Ooh, I got the Bible. Let's. Oh, well, Thomas is gone now, and Thomas is back. Uh, so here we go. This is a reading. From Matthew. Okay. Can you yes, hear me? I can. You so much better. I'm oh. back. Really? Okay. How's that fancy know. new MacBook I doing for you it. now, Whitley? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a Mac. I think it's Zencaster. Nah. It won't let me open the settings, so I don't know what the deal is. Really? Are you using yeah, Safari? But I did hear everything. Like, it was just my mic that wasn't working. It wasn't my headphones that yeah. weren't working. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It was just dead air. We're going to cut all that out. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, we will. But you know, it, uh, as I come back, it's a it's a great time to wish you a happy National Margarita Day. <laughs> Yesterday was National Hug Your Pet Day or something, right? And the reason I'm um, wishing you that is because um, it was during the microphone issue that my wife brought in a margarita for me to celebrate Aww. National Margarita See, my wife, Day. My wife while was we're drinking with her friends. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. She went out she went to dinner with a friend. And I was like, fine, I'll I'll just go record a podcast. That was nice. That was. That was nice. That's gonna um probably make the show just as good as it always is. <laughs> because I usually always have a drink. <laughs> right? I mean, this would be even better if we were in if like we could do the show in person, right? And that's what we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, that always lot. work out well. <laughs> <laughs> a live show where you drink. We tried yeah. that once, Thomas. That didn't go so well. Yeah. yeah, I do have I do have a course light, so I'm keeping it classy. With uh, my, who are they owned by? Like a Canadian company now, right? Well, I I, I know that you're um, excited about Zima making a comeback. You know, I uh, I tried Zima once, and like in college, I think. And it was it was terrible then, and I didn't know what I was, you know, I didn't you know, in college. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I just remember right. all the uh, people in high school. I didn't drink in high school, but all the people in high school who would drink with uh, with, with the Jolly Ranchers and the Zima. You you were one of those people. Well, they, I was not. What well, I've I've actually never had Zima. Um, it was kind of out by the time I, um, well, let's say started drinking. But you know, by the time I started drinking of age um, in public. You have like um, a Smirnoff Ice or whatever that is, like, like with oh, like Danny yeah. Smirnoff Ice, right? And that's that's the thing is like that's what Zima makes me think of is think about Dan Goodman, right? So I'm you know I'm thinking about that night that we had in Savannah and yeah, just so that that's why I'm like okay, there's a special place in my heart for Zimas now just because of Dan yeah. Goodman. So um, so I will celebrate its its return to the world of uh, you know clear colored pseudo-alcoholic drinks. And there's a special place in my heart for Germans in Savannah because of Trevar. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's... So, what? okay. One day we'll tell that <laughs> Not story. on the show. So, Probably not what, on the what show, do you though. think it is about nostalgia that makes us... Like, like Clear Pepsi or Crystal Pepsi or whatever it was came back, evidently. I was in a gas station a couple of months ago and I saw the Crystal Pepsi display. I was like, what is that? So, of course, I bought one. Um, You know, but like mesh hats and and fedoras and top hats and uh, you know the 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 miller light cans going back to the old school cans make america great again like that that feeling of nostalgia that's really gripped our our kind of consumers country what what do you think that's from well we've always had nostalgia right so it's it's and it's not like it's anything new with America and you know the last decade or so um I mean I don't know if you look back to you know the Greco-Roman days they were reaching back to you know people before them and having you know this kind of false nostalgia for you know this bygone era and so I think that um it it, it's a thing that we're comfortable with right and that's kind of obvious but um and, and then I think we have positive associations with these things Right. So we may associate, you know, of course, like I associate Zimas with Dan Goodman. So it automatically, no matter how horrible it is, has a positive association uh, for me. Now, I'm not going to go out and buy any Zima. Um, but I, I think we also have a tendency to, um, Right, we have very selective memories. Right, we understand this, and and we all engage in revisionist history. And so, as we rewrite our own personal histories, and as we read our rewrite our nation's history, as we rewrite you know the world's history, we tend to do so uh, in a way that confirms our current worldview. I think right, and so you know we may. We do this often when people die, right? This has always been a little bit shocking to me, always odd to me. Um, it's really common, right? Somebody dies and 
all anybody has to say about him are positive things, even if nobody liked the person. Yeah. Right? And there's a lot that, you know, of course, there's a lot of kind of societal pressures maybe go into that, particularly in the South where you and I grew up, right? They're just things you didn't do. And talk bad about a person right after they died was one of those No, especially things. after the Bowling Green massacre. You know, I mean, that was... Right, all those right. People. And then last night in yeah, Sweden. God. Um, terrible. Yeah. So, and, and as I'm... Of, of course, those of you that have seen pictures of my, my workspace in my home office in the past, if you followed me for a long time when I did the standing desk thing and everything, will we'll recall that I have a Swedish flag hanging on the wall above my desk right now. So... Um, I am uh, I am especially heartbroken by what happened last night in Sweden. Um, but no, I, I mean, I think that's a good question because that's obviously what's driving kind of a lot of what's going on in our politics today. But it's it's also it also drives a lot of what uh, has been going on for a while in our religion as well, right? So that you know you get this idea of. Obviously, there's a lot of kind of, you know, a lot of evangelicals. You know, we're going to get back to kind of the roots of it. But you also have this other group like the Shane Claibornes, right? This kind of more progressive Christians that are like, well, we're going to be radical, but kind of in the sense of, you know, that it's like the roots. So we're getting back to the root of it. Or we're going to be the Acts 2 church. Or we're going to, you know, live by Matthew 25. And it's it's all, they're kind of all attempts to, um, you know, further legitimate what we what we're doing now by reaching back to do the you think past. martin luther is guilty of that too? this is what you saw um martin luther yeah i mean like like you know we, we got all these trappings of the catholic church and it's time to go back right. to the new yeah, testament absolutely. church no I, I think so absolutely and well i was gonna say i mean that's what you see the kind of early followers of jesus doing as well right one of the reasons they wanted to be i mean yes they understood themselves still as jews uh, I, th- I think for the completely right, but that's a whole another conversation. Um, you know, almost all of them did, but but it was also beneficial for them in their socio political w- world to say, "Hey, look, we're we're basically just like all these other Jews," because the Romans respected that, right? Okay, well, yeah, they've been around for a while, so we kind of have this like positive association with them. We'll give them some respect. But these new groups that are popping up here, like, oh, no, like they're they don't deserve any of our you know respect or deference or anything like that. I, I just had to grab a cup and a new course light now that we're talking about this topic because I, I love this nostalgia. topic. Well, nostalgia and just like you know the the I don't know finding Jesus on CNN or you know New Testament Church or. Um, finding God in Sunday school, you know, like the, these these things that we wrap ourselves around, or you know, let's get away from Common Core in the schools and get back to reading, writing, reading, writing, arithmetic, because that's the way I learned. And clearly, you know, my generation was the greatest generation, and that's what kids need to know. Right, and that's you know, and that's the thing is, um, I guess I'm in the millennial. I guess I'm a millennial. You know, by however we make those arbitrary distinctions. Um, and, and there's, you know, of course, I see this stuff all the time, right? Uh, people bashing millennials and the millennials bashing the people bashing millennials. But it does seem like, right, kind of um, pretty much every generation um, has a significant por- portion of its population that looks at generations that come after it and say, you just don't understand, right? You're not doing it right. I know better than you. And there's certainly wisdom that comes with, you know, having experienced a lot more life and things like that. But but a lot of it is, again, it's what we're comfortable with. So if it was good enough for us, why shouldn't it be good enough for them? Why do we need to change things? Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a really powerful force. I don't understand the, you know, all of the psychology behind it. Um, but I do know from like a sociological perspective that it is it's a really powerful tool for building kind of these national narratives. Yeah, I'm, right. Yeah. And so we we do the same thing when we're building our national narratives when we reach back to certain things, whether they happen or not. Right. But the idea is that there's something special that happened then, and and it also is it, it's a bit, in my opinion, of kind of a denigration of the present. Right? Like as if special things aren't happening now, all the special things happened in the past. So we have to reach back to those to then legitimate what we're doing. Yeah, now. but I mean that's that's all. It's our fault because. We take things like the biblical canon and say, God stopped speaking to Christian humans. Um, 
you know, right. in 115, 125, 80, maybe 135 if you want to be a latest. But the, you know, the notion that you could do something like add letter from a Birmingham jail to a canon is complete, right. you know, no, no, never. That's, that's heresy. You know, the, the Bible right. is the way it is because of how Jesus and Moses wrote it. Um, you know, and, and when we... But that's nostalgia. But that's too. what I'm saying. But but we we, we yeah, can find ourselves exactly in the right. present. Yeah, yeah there are all these other things that come that come with the formation of the canon and you know different criteria that are used. But you know a lot of these can I think mostly it can be understood as justifications for why they made the decision to you know cut things off when they did essentially. And it's you know looking back to this time. Well, the time when Jesus was here was the best time. So we can only get stuff from that time or from people that knew him, right? which, of course, is not true about most of what's in the New Testament. Or even saying the Constitution is a you know literal document, and you know you're you're a strict constructionalist, and it is what it is, and you know you have to read it verbatim, word for word. There's, it's not a living, breathing document, just like the Bible is not a living, breathing document. It's like this prison of interpretation that we moderns put ourselves into, and I, I mean, I guess that's what Plato was trying to. You know, I guess Socrates was trying to tell Plato, um, you know, when they had the argument over writing books, and Socrates said, "Stop writing books." You know, like you need to have a life of the mind. You're you're trapping yourself by writing these books, and and confining yourself to to that. Um, you know, we like to laugh at that now, but I mean, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe old Socrates had something something good to say there. Um, yeah. You know, because if a book or a document or, you know, a thing that, that we write down and subscribe to is a living, breathing thing that we can interact with and interpret and add to or take away from based on our current context, then that's one thing. But to say that this was written the way it was, you know, 300 years ago or 2,000 years ago, and there's no editing because that's the way we, we received it, whether you're, you know, Muslim or, or Christian, um, uh, you know, or, or I mean, got Orthodox too, I guess. Like, there's such a a confining aspect to that that I I, I will never understand. And and people that try to wrap themselves around Noah's Ark and the seven days of creation and ex nihilo and these you know these artificial things that you layer on top. Um, I don't know. Like that that's a difficult area for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's um yeah, I used to be there. Right? <laughs> so, I mean I can understand how you can how you can get there. Um but it's I don't know, again it's a comfort thing, right? Because right, sociologically we know that groups that draw tighter boundaries, you right, know, tend to be more conservative or grow faster than other groups. And, you know, I talk to people all the time that are like, I just, it was easier when I, you know, just had all the answers because you didn't, you know, and it is easier. If somebody just tells you, here's the answer and okay, great. Now I have the answer. I don't need to worry about this anymore. Um, and when, when you're no longer in that place, then yeah, things do get more complicated. But, I, you know, I kind of think like, hey, that's life. And also, hey, if you're kind of talking about, you know, God and salvation and all these other kind of spiritual topics or whatever, um, that's pretty, you know, <laughs> that's pretty important for a lot of people. And for a lot of these people, that's the most important thing in their lives. And so the idea that the absolute most important thing in your life should be something that's just simple with just a list of answers for whatever question you could come up with is, you know, it's just not where I am. Um, doesn't make a whole lot of sense either to me now, but no, I agree. But I do think it, you know, there's a, there's a comfort built into it um, with, you don't have to worry about making the decision. Somebody else has made them for you. Yeah. And then, I mean, the obvious thing with, you know, our current, um, political climate is, I mean, the very obvious undertone for making America great again is to reach back to a time when essentially white men ruled everything and nobody else even had a shot at, you know, having any power. And I mean, that's why you see white nationalists have been completely emboldened since Trump's election, right? Um, 
And so, I mean, I think that's fairly obvious that that's the undertone of uh, Trump's entire campaign and his presidency so far. Um, you know, I guess it's easy to look, but we also, we build that, we build this up too, right? So, you know, that's what, like you have the Andy Griffith show in Mayberry and it was all just, it was all a facade, right? I mean, sure, you can go to, oh, what's, oh, what's the town now? I can't think of it. It's right outside of Raleigh. Um, where they filmed Mayberry, they're you know, uh, based it off of. Um, um, I know, I know Maiden. No, uh, Mayberry. They will find it. My wife would kill me. She went to college in Raleigh. Um, Mount Airy. Mount Airy. There you go. It's like I know people that live there. I knew that. Yeah. Um, but right. I mean, it's like, but that wasn't that wasn't really how things were then either. Right. You know, so it's this kind of just idealized picture that we continue to paint for ourselves because it makes us feel better about ourselves and where we are now. And, you know, we certainly don't want to sit around and say, man, we really screwed everything up. I'm glad people are coming behind us and fixing a, fixing all of our mess. Right? Nobody wants to think about themselves yeah. that way. Yeah. Well, and, and the other day, um, I was, I had my two girls and we were out to lunch or something and an older gentleman stopped and he was like, Oh, y'all are, you know, great looking family, whatever. I, I had no idea who he is. And he was like, now it's up to y'all's generation to fix all this stuff that we're doing wrong. And I was like, don't tell my kids that <laughs> as he walks away. <laughs> well, but that's good. I can respect. I know. That. But like, I was like, yeah. Oh, what, what, what? Like, come on. Like, yeah, they get that. But I don't know. Unnecessary burden, dude. You still have time left. Let's fix it. Don't just resign yourself to uh, right. You don't have you don't have to just check out <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, take exactly. your paper with you on the way out. Um, yeah, it, it's fascinating how how impactful nostalgia could be even today in our our post reason you know, society. Right. You know. So there was this this great piece that came out today in the Chicago Chicago Tribune. Um, Garrison Keillor writes uh, called the religion of Donald Trump. And it's essentially, you know, in the guise of Donald Trump um, reciting the 23rd Psalm and there's a little bit of Genesis in there and a couple other things, but I mean, it's really funny. You know, so it, um, it starts off with the Lord is my shepherd. Okay. Totally big league. He's a tremendous shepherd. Uh, the best, no comparison. I know more than most people about herding sheep. And that's why I won the election in the landslide. And it's why my company's doing very, very well because he said, I'm with you, Donald. You will never want. Right, so then it keeps going. And it's, you know, it's funny. Garrison Keillor is obviously great. Um, but, you know, the, the thing that strikes me is I think about this a lot, right? Because I keep going back to this statistic, right? 81% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. It's just kind of crazy. And, you know, we want to talk on one hand, oh, this shows their hypocrisy and all that stuff. And Okay, fine. But, as we're thinking about the nostalgia aspect, the thing that really strikes me is that we say on the one hand, hey, Donald Trump doesn't know anything about the Bible, right? He you know, has said he's never asked for forgiveness. He doesn't pray. He doesn't think he needs to ask for forgiveness. He, you know, I don't think he, I, I can't imagine that he would know how to start the 23rd Psalm. Right, which makes this kind of funny because like there's way more biblical knowledge in this parody of Trump than I think Trump actually possesses himself. But you know, I also think that there are actually a lot of people that grew up in church and that go to church and have maybe the same amount of biblical knowledge, maybe slightly more than Donald Trump, right? Because their understanding of what it means for them personally and them and their you know community to be a Christian is looks a lot like what Donald Trump's does right so I don't know the best I don't there's probably not a nice way to say that right but a lot of it's not that difficult to go to church for your whole life and not really ever learn anything about the Bible right except these kind of platitudes or whatever and so there's a way in which Donald Trump's version of Christianity, actually, I think it lends itself quite well to um, a, a kind of a nostalgic evangelicalism that a lot of people in this country, I think, have. What do you think that? I mean, how, how do you define that? What does that look like? Well, where it's you know they 
there's a bit of a strong man idea there, right? Jesus was a strong man. So of course, like it's fine to have other strong men. So I think you have that. Um, but I think it's also, it's this idea that people say like, yeah, the Bible's great. Like I, I, you know, I believe in God and I love God and yeah, we gotta, we gotta do good things. And they earnestly believe that. I don't doubt that they do, but that's kind of the extent of it. And so, I don't know, I mean, I guess like some people might want to say that that's shallow or something like that, but I just think that there are a lot of people for whom Donald Trump's religion was not a problem who would self-identify as evangelical because theirs looks pretty much like his does. Yeah, uh, yeah, I could see that. Whereas it, Right? It's like, yeah, yeah, of course, I'm even, yeah, I go to that church. Well, yeah, I mean, I really only go on Christmas and Easter, but... Yeah, I'm I'm super evangelical on, you know, don't you get me started on the gays or the transgender people or what right? And and so it's this it's this different kind of um you know, version of evangelical Christianity than we tend to think about. Right? We tend to, I think, when we think about evangelical Christianity, that think about you know, the people that read their Bible all the time and they know it really well and they, you know, maybe have a more literal interpretation of the Bible and that it's all stemming from that. Uh, and there are plenty of those out there, but I also think there's a lot of other people that uh, don't have any of that to fall back on, so to speak, right? And so what Trump is saying to them is not really that for Oh, it, it, you go from the Billy Graham model of being an evangelical, even though he would have resisted that early on. But, you know, you go from that kind of, missionary minded i'm going to quote bible verses at you and and know the bible mm-hmm. to like what you said it's kind of a cultural christianity um where you say like well you know i don't i don't know i, I like eye for an eye tooth for a tooth that that sounds good um like trump did and i you know i, I can't quote you scripture but but i tell you what i've read my bible and i love my bible and i love jesus and if you ask me something i'm going to answer you know how i how i think it you know should answer um, based on kind of that cultural understanding rather than a, a scriptural understanding, I guess. So it, right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's fascinating how evangelicalism on, on that side has kind of escaped from the fundamentalist, I guess, like umbrella of, um, you know, knowing your, your scripture and yeah, like reading your Bible every night, not, not for inspiration, but because you want to read the whole Bible. So you're on a Bible reading plan, not because you want to, make it through right. the Psalms, but because, you know, you're going to get down and dirty with Chronicles, you know, which unless you're, you're an avid reader of the Bible, you're going to skip over, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're going to get your Schofield, you know, reference edition and, or you're going to get the, you're going to get the, you know, the wide margin editions and make sure you take all your notes yeah. or, or you might even, if you're, if you're really serious, you might even get the rainbow Oof. study Bible, which is really hilarious to me, <laughs> but you might get the rainbow study Bible that's, you know, color coded based on different themes and that takes um, money a lot of work. Yeah. No. Yeah. So I, I, I agree that, the, I mean, there's this, um, I don't know. Yeah, I just I I think that it's often you know it's easy for us to paint evangelicals as a broad brush, of course, um, and and I I do still think it's we can't overlook the fact that eighty one percent of people who self identify as evangelicals voted for Donald Trump, but I also think that you know we need to have maybe a little bit of a more nuanced view, right? This is what I wrote I don't know a year a year and a half ago, right? The myth of the evangelical voting block is that evangelicals may tend to vote the same way, you know, one way. Uh, and other groups may tend to vote, you know, in certain ways, but painting them with a broad brush is still wrong uh, for a lot of reasons. And we saw that, I think, in this election, maybe not with evangelicals, but with a lot of other demographics, right? Um, and so the idea that all evangelicals look the same or they're all, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, a lot of people have a picture of evangelicals because they don't probably really know any. Um. But it, you know, it just strikes me as we're kind of talking about nostalgia and how that is playing into not only the "Make America Great Again" aspect of of what's going on in our country right now, but I'm you know thinking about how does that play into the religion or lack thereof of Donald Trump, and it actually seems to fit quite well as I think about it. Well, and you know, you look at things like uh, like West Virginia, you know, looking to make uh, make the Bible its state book. <laughs> With, right, you know, right on the right, surface yeah. like yeah whatever but 
That's kind of a big statement to make. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of kind of a big statement to make. Yeah. Um of course other places have tried this, right? I think didn't Tennessee, Tennessee try it a couple yeah, years ago. It I think it got voted it got voted through but got vetoed by the governor. Um yeah, I mean it's it is interesting, right? If you look at some of the justifications used for the West Virginia deal, it's um well, you know, a lot of our laws are based on you know, the Bible, right? Judeo-Christian yeah. tradition and things like that. And, and so again, it's this kind of uh, nostalgic aspect of it. Of course, right, we would we know it's just a justification because they want to make the Bible the state book. And they want to <laughs> write it's, itself. It's kind of the like you've talked about before. It's just like Christian Sharia, right? Yeah. Um, hey, wait, how do you say it? Sharia? So, yeah, well, there's different pronunciations. Some people say Sharia, some people say Sharia. Yeah. So is Sharia like um, saying, uh, what was it a couple of years ago? Uh, like Al-Qaeda instead of Al-Qaeda, right? Al-Qaeda. Yeah, yeah but Al-Qaeda is like, yeah, English speakers should not say that. <laughs> so, so is Sharia um, like the, the right say, way to say it? I don't know. My Arabic's not that good, so I'm not going <laughs> to tell Arabic's you what the right way good. to say Sharia. <laughs> 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 now you're on a list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't communicated no, lately. My Arab is not that good. Yeah. <sighs> my Arab is not that good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, I've I just always say Sharia, and I know a lot of other people who do, but then I know a lot of people say Sharia as well. So the 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 trick is right, and you learn this pretty quickly as an academic, is you just pick a pronunciation and just go with it full force. And just act like it's a hundred percent. Yeah, and then right. everyone else feels stupid. And most of the time, <laughs> right? Most of the time, it's fine because they'll be like, "Oh, I didn't know. I thought it was pronounced this way, right?" Or they'll just whatever. Uh, the only time that's a problem is when it's somebody's name, uh, and it's even worse that. if they're in the audience, <laughs> <laughs> right? If they're in the audience. There. Her name is a shibboleth. Yeah, that, and you don't know <laughs> that. That's. Oh, man, I've seen so many of these examples, so many of these situations, right, where somebody's talking about, you know, this scholar and mispronouncing their name and they're in the audience, but they've never seen the person. So they don't actually know they're in the audience, but basically everybody in the audience knows that person's in the audience. Yeah. So that's not a good time to do it. But other than that, you just kind of pick it and just uh, say it with gusto. Yeah. I mean, and, and maybe it'll catch on. Yeah, anyway, um, I'm sorry. So yes, West Virginia passing Sharia law or Sharia <laughs> or Sharia. Sharia, <laughs> not Sharia. Sharia sounds like a like a 1990s um, like soul singer, like Sade. Remember Sade? Yes, I bet you like Sade. Um, you know, it's, uh, like like that. That's what that song. Anyway, what was her song? She had she had a big song. Okay. Can't remember. I'll I'll Google it while you're talking. Okay. I mean, maybe I'm I'm looking it up online. Shade? Of course, that's not very helpful. Yeah. No, uh, Sharia. Uh, the pronunciation. Um, okay, Google. How do you pronounce Sharia? S H A R I is pronounced the Sharia. There you go. But you kind of you, that I would say objection leading. Okay, the Google. How do you pronounce S H A R I? S H A R I is pronounced the Sherry. Oh, well, I got to put the A on. Okay, Google. <laughs> you spell How do you right. spell S H A R I A? Sharia is spelled S H A R I A. Thank you for spelling it out for me. <laughs> yeah, again, because you said, How do you spell? Okay, uh, okay all right, Google. we'll go with Sharia and not Sharia. Okay, Google. How do you say Sharia in Arabic? Okay, we're definitely on a list now, but let's see. It's not, is it going to say it for me? It, it won't say it for me. Uh, say that. Okay, here we go. Shira. Yeah? No, it's, it's Ishriya. Yeah, I think. Huh. All right, so we're learning how to pronounce Islamic canonical Shariah. law based on the teachings of the Quran. I'm sorry, Quran. The traditions of the Prophet... Uh, hadith and Sunnah, prescribing both religious and secular duties, and sometimes retributive, retributive uh, penalties for law breaking. It has generally been supplemented by legislation adapted to the conditions of the day, 
through the manner in which it should be applied in modern states is a subject of dispute between Islamic fundamentalists and modernists. Huh. All right. I'm sorry. So I, I will uh, henceforth uh, amend my pronunciation and Shadia. call it Sharia. <laughs> that's how Bill O'Reilly pronounces it. So, I mean, that's... <laughs> it's got to be right, right? One of our foremost historians... Yeah, but I, so I don't know. I mean, that's a whole another thing, right? The West Virginia thing and the, you know, the claims of like creeping Sharia law, and um, then we have all these attempts like this, um, which I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't think that the, some of these things would stand um, unless they also allowed, right? Because they did say with the West Virginia thing, oh well, you know, other books could be you know, considered state books too. So of course, naturally I'm thinking, okay, let's go ahead and get the Quran in there. Let's go ahead and get the, um, you know, the, the Bhagavad Gita and the Vedas and the Sutras. I'm pretty sure it's, it's Bhagavad Gita, not Bhagavad Gita. Bhagavad Gita. Okay. So we're going to, this is quickly morphed into a, clearly it's schwa, but it's not even schwa. It's Shava. But did you learn it as schwa? A lot of people say schwa. The uh, the Indo-European language was, was big on the schwa. <laughs> do you say Z or Z? You say Z. What do you mean? When you say Why like not? the letter Z, do you say Z or Z? Just letter Z yeah. in English? I say Z. Okay. I don't know if you're... Uh, for people like in English, yeah. you know, American English no, say yeah. Z lately. Yeah. It's, it's like driving slowly say, over, uh, over uh, railroad track. Right. I don't say W, I say Dublavet. Oh, well, there you go. Do you tip your uh, top hat when you do that? No, Dublavet is is W in German because it's a double V, right? So makes sense. Um, Yeah, we kind of, okay, we kind of got off track a little bit. I think that's why people tune into the show. Yeah, I I think you're right. Um, Um, So... All right, so there was another thing I wanted to... Was, do you have any, anything else to say on that? There's another place I wanted to go with the I'll conversation. I'll go anywhere with you, Thomas. I know. That's why we've, That's why we've, this relationship has lasted so long. Come away with me. <laughs> to another place. Yeah, sorry. My kid's been listening to Nora, Nora Jones lately. I've heard that a lot. Um, so we saw... Or I guess I think you saw it too. Um. And I, I, I would say we as in like everybody, all of our listeners saw this, but maybe they didn't. But there was an article out in The Guardian uh, talking about some research done by the, uh, the CDC. And they have definitively linked a drop in teenage suicide attempts to the legalization of same-sex marriage. And so overall, suicide attempts among high school students have fallen by an average of 7%. Uh, following the impl- implementation of same-sex marriage laws, and among the uh, among you know LGBT teenagers, uh, the drop has been fourteen percent, so double, which I think is just massive, and uh, I think this is a fantastic thing to see. Um, and this just strikes me as I mean, there's so much going on, right? You and I were talking about this in the pre-show, like the news cycle changes every fifteen minutes these days. It feels like, and so a lot of things that really deserve a lot of attention aren't getting it. And this is one of those things that I think deserves a lot of attention, right? Because we often have this idea, you know, I I think a lot of people are really turned off by our politics, right? Which is completely understandable. And we just have this idea that like politics don't matter and policy doesn't really matter and it doesn't affect my lives. But this is probably one of the best examples. Now, when we Next next week, we can talk about you know the attempts to repeal the Affordable Care Act and talking about how policy affects people's lives. And there's a lot of good examples there too. But I just think this is this is one of the most heartening things I've seen uh, in 2017. All right, except for of course the picture of the president of Finland's dog that was all over Twitter today, which is amazing. But other than that, um, I, th- I think this is, um, I don't know. I'm just really excited about this. And I just think it's really important like to show like, the laws that we pass uh, affect people 
and they send a very clear message about who we are and who we accept or who we don't accept. And so, you know, just today, the Trump administration has decided to um, reverse the guidance that the Obama administration had put in for a transgender bathroom usage in schools. And so my thought after reading this uh, research from the CDC is, okay, obviously you have LGBT um, people are a minority and they have much higher rates of uh, suicide attempts and, and, and I wouldn't call them successful suicides, right, but actual suicides. Um, right, we know this, right, because of all these reasons, the family stigmas, the religious stigmas, societal stigmas. And so how is what the Trump administration is doing now? going to directly affect transgender middle schoolers and high schoolers? Well, yes. But, I mean, luckily it's up to the states. So, you know, from from that perspective, it wasn't. Supposedly. Yeah. Yeah. And. Right, but then. I I know. And it's the states that don't need to suffer and, and. you know, I, our home states will <laughs> definitely right. Yeah. Exactly. That's why we right. should all move. So, so just because float away, right? I mean, and and sure, you can you can do a comparison there, right? Looking at state to state, um, you know, states that implemented same sex marriage laws before we did nationally, and then like this, if this goes, you know, does really become a states rights thing, and, and states get to choose. So you'll get California, New York, and some other states choosing to yes of course you can go to whatever bathroom you want to go to because it doesn't matter nobody's in there to you're just in there because you need to relieve yourself and then you're getting out and that's it um but so are we gonna see and i expect that we will we'll see the suicide rate among uh, transgender teenagers drop in those states but it will stay the same or possibly even increase in the states that uh don't follow suit in that regard. And so should you, you know, should you be in a position to be more likely to be kind of taunted into suicide just because of where you happen to live? I mean, I think no. Um, I would hope that everybody else would too. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm not a huge like states rights person. It's like, sure, I think there are a lot of great things, great decisions that the states can make. <laughs> but there are things like this that, I think, right? You this is. I, I think you don't ever put the votes of a minority up to a majority vote, because almost every single time the minority is going to lose. And I, I think there are situations where you have to say, I understand most of you may, uh, you know, a lot of people might disagree with this, but this is still what I think is the right thing to do. And we, as the leaders of the state or this country, are going to say this is the right thing to do. This is who we're going to be. Um, I don't know. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to see this because this is like real lives have been affected, right, uh, in a positive way because of our Supreme Court decision and because of laws that were passed by state legislatures in various states around the country over the past few years. This is really positive. Uh, I'm just, you know, I want to see more of that kind of stuff. Well, and, you know, the real problem is that there's no centrist opposition to that. Um, yesterday we had a, a you know people's march on Columbia thing during or Monday during President's Day and um, yeah I'm, I'm sure some people felt like they got some you know good good things out there and they really stuck it to the man but it, it's like at, at, you know at what point do we stop marching and we actually start start legislating and we and yes, there needs to be outrage. I'm all, I mean, the women's march was an amazing thing. Um, you know, but these continual, like, sort of outrage marches and these diversions from actually getting involved in government and, and standing up and doing something and then saying, oh, why, you know, how's the government taking away these, these rights or, 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 you know, how's the government, be, you know, able to come in and, and ruin a kid's life in South Carolina? It's like, well, because we don't have many quality Democrats that run for office and you can't blame it on the people voting. You know, it's, it's a conversation of ideas. So put your ideas out there and realize that you're competing in a, 
you know, in, in a marketplace of ideas, you're not, it's not, oh, well, I have all the right ideas because I'm a progressive and I'm a liberal and I know that we need universal health care and I know that we need a standard living wage and I know that we need this and I know that we need transgender bathrooms yes. and that... Hashtag UBI. I'll do yeah, because then you're Donald Trump. <laughs> no, no, yeah. No, I agree. I I, th- I think you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, nobody wants to do the I hard work say, of government I mean, anymore on either side and that's a sad... The sad damn reality of the fact is that right. I mean, you and I've been we've been lamenting this for a while yeah. now, right? I mean, right there, you know, there aren't that many Joe Bidens um, around. Period. Uh, but I will say we've seen just an amazing surge in the number of people who've signed who've said I want to run for office, and they are and people that are choosing to run for office that hadn't been involved that have woken up and said. I'm looking around me. I'm not seeing a lot of other people doing this. I think it needs to be done. I guess I need to do it. And I think that's great. We're seeing people go to town halls when they've never been before. We're seeing Republicans scared to hold town halls because people in their districts are not happy with them. Right. So, I mean, that's not that's not all that can be done. But I do think we are we are seeing a shift in some of the tactics. And and, and I think it's a shift in the right direction. Um, the, you know, of course, it'd be interesting for us to watch what happens with the DNC chair race, but that's not that important in the grand yeah, scheme. Yeah, the hell it is. it's not. Um, I mean, we see what happens. Ha- mm. <laughs> I'll give you three words. Debbie, Wasserman, <laughs> Schultz. I'll give you okay. two words. No, no, no. Yeah, it's, or three. It's a- Hillary Rodham Clinton, which was a, a result of the first three words. And because of the way that the primaries were structured and the way that the, the debates were structured. Okay. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I agree. Right. So you need to you need to set the debates, uh, your primary debates, independent before you have any candidates. You need to set the dates. Right. Of course. Um, I absolutely think there's a lot of things that need to change in the DNC. A hundred percent. But who you elect as chair, and I, you know, I, I have ideas about who I think it should be. But who you elect as chair is not going to fundamentally alter, you know, the state of politics in this no, country, no. by any means. Um. So, I do think there are decisions you could make that would be more or less important in that race, but nobody's asking me because I'm not one of those voters. But I do think that we are getting that that we are seeing people do more, and they are getting involved in town halls, and they are reaching out. And there's a lot of things you're not seeing, right? But they are actually finally, you know, talking to their legislatures or, or you know representatives, or at least talking to their staff. Um, which is actually probably just as important or more important maybe in some cases. Um, so we're seeing a lot of people do this type of stuff. And, and so, you know, it takes a while. I mean, you know, you and I talked a few weeks ago about, like, is it too late or is the Democratic Party kind of too slow? Uh, and they may be as a party, but I think uh, when I look out across, you know, the country and I see what people are doing and the action that they're taking, I, I see a lot more people engaged uh, and doing things that are effective. Um, and that that's heartening, uh, but but I think I think you're absolutely right. It it can't just be this is my position and I'm not going to change no matter what. Uh, but you know you're talking about the marketplace of ideas. I don't know that we really need like a strong centrist movement because honestly that's what a large portion of the Democratic Party is. I think we need a strong left movement uh, because that's what we don't have in this country right now, and it's it's growing um, for sure. Uh, but that's what I, you know, I think we need people that are not scared to say, yes, we need a universal basic income. And I'm going to, you know, tell you why I think we need a universal basic income. And it doesn't have to do with people being lazy or anything like that. Right. So let's have that conversation. But instead people are scared to do that. And they're, you know, fighting, you know, important fights like minimum wage and stuff like that. But you know, that's, that's baby steps. So you know, if if you if you're only fighting to get people to a fifteen dollar minimum wage, then the best you can do is get people to a fifteen dollar minimum wage. Well, and right, so I, I think there are a lot of people that are not wanting to have fights because we're going to lose them. But if you don't have these fights, you're not getting your ideas out in the marketplace of ideas to then get people to start thinking about them and start you know potentially coming to your side. Yeah, and- so kind of, right, my, my philosophy in a lot of things, right, job applications and stuff like that is don't say no for them. And I do think that's what's happening a lot on the left is people are saying, well, yeah, I personally think this, but we can't really talk about that. I mean, perhaps, but I, I think the, the bigger issue is that we need to stop focusing on issues. We need to th- stop saying that it's about 
Obamacare and, uh, you know, uh, right to a, a, a living wage and right to health care and right to this and right to that and start looking at things in a long-term holistic perspective. Because if we go that route and all of a sudden we're Denmark, I mean, that's great, but then you're going to have a wide swath of the country that's very alienated and we're going to have a civil war, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, let, let's ban all guns tomorrow. That sounds great for a lot of people in the United States. I mean, 40 percent, I would say, would say, yeah, yeah, take away all handguns. But then you'd have, you know, a, a large group of people that would, would not, you know, do well with that. And the reason our government is intentionally slow and deliberative is not because the founders were living in the 1700s, which they were, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think it has to do with that long-term viewpoint that, you know, the, the which breaks down in this world of instant information and instant economy. But, right. you know, the best government is local and the big government stuff should be slow and process and, and take its time. And, you know, we shouldn't be able to amend the Constitution very easily. Our president should not have executive powers to be able to say, well, here's my new ruling. And all of a sudden that's the law of the land. Like, that's not how this was set up to be. And Democrats caused that. They caused the... Oh, the certainly. The... But the uh, what you call it? Uh, I'm going to stand up and read the dictionary rule. Um, filibuster. filibuster. Yeah, right. Sorry, super, super right, majority. Yeah, so they're the first one that yeah, exactly. Well, and then and of course, I mean, Obama vastly expanded the power of the executive exactly, branch. exactly. So and and if it had not been for that, it certainly would it would be at least a little bit harder for Trump to do some of the things he's and doing. And we've now. lost this idea that that governing or that government is about not issues, but making things better for all citizens or, or as many citizens as you can. And that doesn't have to be, I'm going to get elected on these three platform issues. You know, and here's what right. the Democratic Party stands for. Here's what the Republican Party stands for. And if you if you stand for this, then you're a Democrat. If you stand for this, you're a Republican. And if you stand for this, you're a Libertarian. Good luck, Gary Johnson. Um, you know, that's that's not how this was set up. And that's not how this works. And that I, I think that's why we are where we are because we've made it about issues rather than real governance. Well, I mean, I, I think I would say it's probably, it's pretty much always been about issues. Um, the issues are just different now. Yeah, but when we get into the issues, at least but, the Civil War, I mean, when it becomes about slavery and taxation, like, however you want to argue that, you know, Obamacare right. is great because it provides health care. No, Obamacare is terrible because it taxes me and it makes me pay more because of the exchange thing well that's not that's not why we passed it well that's not what slavery was about and the civil war wasn't about slavery the civil war was about the north trying to tax the southern economy because the, the agrarian economy was so much more uh, robust than the northern industrial uh, you know, economy in 1856 well, but, but you could also there are also systemic ways you have to address this and it's not just about how you talk right but it's about things like how are your districts drawn Right. And so so we have we have built a system. So it's not only that, like the public narrative and the news media and, the you know, the um, instantness that we get from Twitter and from Facebook has fed into this because it has. But it's also that we built a system that rewards that. Yeah. And so we need to build a better system, which exactly what you're saying is hard it takes a long time and it's combative and you know all of those things and you know sometimes it's really boring but um you know these are the things that matter i i think and and i think in my estimation until you change the system so that you draw your districts fairly so that you do everything that is in your power to make it easy for every single citizen that's eligible to vote to vote um, until you, you know, and I would include, you know, that we need to restore voting rights to, you know, felons who have served their time and things like that. When you do everything in your power to help people to vote and say that if, a, you know, a democracy at its best is going to have the involvement of as many of its citizens as is possible uh, when until you change the system in those ways what you talk about doesn't really matter because you're not going to get a platform you'll get a platform for a minute and then you're going to lose your election because you have you know you've 
you're saying great things, but you're in a district that was designed to not elect people like you. I mean, totally. I, 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 look, look at North Carolina. I mean, look at South Carolina and like all of a sudden our district change and we're under Representative Joe Wilson <laughs> when we have no reason or rhyme to be. But like if you looked at this, if you look at our district map, I mean, it's, it's gerrymandered all the heck. Um, but I mean, North Carolina is the, the perfect example of that. And, and that's right. the system rewarding the winners, which is not how this is set up. I mean, yes, it's, it should be easier to pass your legislation. It's what, right, what Mitch McConnell said this week. The, the, the winners, you know, um, like I forget exactly, but basically the winners write the law or write the policy and the losers go home. That's what he said this week. Now, obviously that's not true because he didn't go home. He wasn't quiet, you know, during the eight years that Obama was in power, was in office. Um, but that is certainly the mentality is we won. And Obama had this mentality, oh, yeah. right? And, and it came out certain times like, I won. Like, <laughs> I won, y'all. <laughs> right. I won. Like, I need, it, I get to do this now. Um, and to a degree, it's like, okay, maybe. But, but you know, how is that? Is that the best thing for, you know, the country as a whole? And this is why I think, like, a parliamentary system is certainly not perfect <laughs> by any means. Here but you go, what does it force you to do? <laughs> What does it force you to do? It it forces you to stay relevant. It for, it forces you to build coalitions. Yeah. A parliament. A that's parliament, what a parliamentary would, that would never does. work here. No, I agree. Can you imagine? I agree, but like the the utter but, chaos. But if you look at but the and there right there are problems, but at least the system <laughs> is partially designed to force you to build coalitions with other people. Well, and technically, that's that's what that's we have here, you know, with, with the super majority now. <laughs> that's terrible. Um, Except we don't, right? What what good are having rules if you can? What good are? I mean, that's the craziest thing to me, right? Is you have rules like, oh, a filibuster, you have to break a filibuster with sixty votes, but you can change it with fifty-one. Like you can change the rules with fifty-one. Just, just with that one filibuster, yeah. Right. So what are you know? What good are having the rules if you don't actually have to abide by them? Right, and that's another thing we've talked about this before. But you know, people are now beginning to realize that so many of the things that have just always been a certain way are norms, but they're not rules that are written in anywhere. And even some of the rules, right? You can just change those however you want. And so it's just because people have decided that we're going to do this, not because they have to. And now when they have you know felt a little bit more emboldened, and Donald Trump obviously doesn't want to play by anybody's rules but his own. Um, a lot of other people are saying, well, I shouldn't have to either. Let's not do that thing. Sure. Yeah. People release their tax returns. I'm not going to release mine. You know, all these things. Um, so yeah, I, I think you have to build a system that does not incentivize the, um, you know, the partisanship, the single issue, uh, you know, aspect of our politics right I think, now. But, but you have to have a, a common core. I mean, not to use that term, but you have to have a common foundation that you build that upon, right? And I think that's what we're really missing. Like, make yeah. America great again is a total, like, uh, obfuscation of that. And uh, as well as on the left, right. I mean, like, let's you know, what is what does America look like? This is what America looks like. Well, no, not in every state. I mean, that's what our you know that America looks like. Right. Right. I, I, I'll leave it up to the the best song ever written. As I close out here, I'm just going to quote a few lines. Let me see if you can if you can name this before I get to the to the chorus. Let me know. Someone's always playing corporation games. Who cares? They're always changing corporation names. We just want to dance here. Someone sold the stage. They call us irresponsible. They write us off the page. It's just another Saturday night on a tired old street. Police have got the chokehold, and oh, we just lost the beat. Who counts the money underneath the bar? Who rides the wrecking ball into our guitars? Don't tell us you need us. Because we're just simple fools looking for America crawling through your schools. Don't you remember we built this city? We built this city on rock and roll. <laughs> we built this city. You built this city on what? <laughs> <laughs> the worst song ever. But uh, that's okay. it, it's kind of fitting. I can't believe I just would That's fantastic. But okay, one, not the worst song oh ever. Oh my God. It, even it, if it, it is. is totally the worst song ever. Like, have you read Reddit? Even if it is. It, do you, do you even it gave rise to 
it gave rise to the second best McSweeney piece that's ever been written. I think. Which one's that? It was the it was the one that's like you built the city on what, <laughs> and it's like a city council meeting. It's amazing, and I would say that's only second to its decorative gorge season motherfuckers. <laughs> Those are my two favorite McSweeney pieces ever written and since we're at the end of the show i can actually say that we'll drop those down in the show notes for you i do think jefferson starship uh will be is a good thing to to leave our listeners with um so uh, get that song stuck in your head it will play the rest of the week uh we will raise our glass to you happy uh, national margarita day as always you can find us on twitter i am at thomas whitley sam is at sam harrelson and you can find more great podcasts at thinking.fm. Please hear me out, people. The second option is to add some hotels into the McHugh's development we have planned for this large strawberry farm that's taking up some very valuable real estate. <laughs> it's so good. You're not serious. I mean, that's not an adequate foundation for a city. Are you sure? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so then I'm guessing Strawberry Fields Mall is off the table. <laughs> Well, then, I think we're done here. Come on, let's go. And whatever you do, we're not taking an airplane out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh.